How is it going, everybody? This is Sean Barnes. I want to welcome you to episode 17 of The Way of the Wolf. On the show today, I actually have somebody that I haven't really known for very long. What's interesting is I ended up creating a video on the YouTube channel of my interaction, my first interaction with this guy. It was entitled, uh, I think, Introvert Challenge, if I remember correctly. And kind of the, the summary of the story was working out with him. Actually, wasn't working out with him. We were in the same gym working out, and I thought I recognized him. I thought he was a guy named David. And I kept looking over at him thinking, man, he looks really familiar. And then this guy starts looking at me like, why is this guy looking at me so much? So I was then... Uh, compelled to go introduce myself and ask him if his name was David. Turns out it was not. So we ended up talking, having a really good conversation. We've worked out together a few times ever since then. So his name is Dustin Sanchez. He is a lawyer and has actually started a consulting firm focused on helping other lawyers grow their business. The, the primary focus is around marketing and search engine optimization and things like that. Uh, also has some experience in investment properties. So quite a, uh, a diversification of, of the things that he works on. So Dustin, welcome to the show. Thanks. Glad to be here, Sean. All right. So tell me a little bit, before we got started, you were talking about an epiphany story. Tell me a little bit about that and, and what that means to you. Yeah. Um, as a marketing expert and slash entrepreneur, we're constantly trying to find ways to not only get our name out there, but get our clients' names out there. And in the industry, there's someone who's really popular, Russell Brunson. And he owns a software called ClickFunnels. And part of the ways he sells that software to so many different people is he teaches you how to market with his software. And one of the things he covers is developing your epiphany story, which is just like how you got from where you used to be to where you are now. <clears throat> and it's really kind of like a sales tactic to, you know, if, if I sell something to attorneys, I kind of want to step down from this guru slash expert and bring myself to a beginner, just like maybe we're there or they are. And if I can walk them through my story and how I face the same challenges that they challenge that they faced, and then how I overcome those to where I am now, they're more likely to buy from me. And so that's kind of what the epiphany story is all about. And you were just asking me, can you start off by telling your story? And I'm thinking, man, I've been working on this story all week last week uh, as part of a presentation I was giving last week. But that's the basic epiphany story. Okay. Well, go ahead and if you've been working on it for the past week, let's go ahead and share it. Yeah. See, it's funny to hear <clears throat> just what you know about me mm -hmm. because you don't, you really don't know the half of it. You know, that's what you know is like the top half. Uh, the reality is I was actually an engineer before I went to law school. I worked at Johnson Space Center um, before that, I was a nuclear reactor operator for the Navy. Okay, whoa, 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 and hold on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, okay. So we're going to go into both of those. Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit about working at Johnson Space Center. I was a... I broke things for the space station, uh, International Space Station. Um, it's called Structural Test Kind of Engineer. My, really, my degree is in nuclear engineering, but... 
within nuclear engineering, you learn a lot of materials, material strength. Just to build a nuclear reactor, you have to know different materials. And so it transferred well to structural engineering for the space station. Um, so I, they, they're called test directors. And whenever we ran experiments, if you're going to send something up in space, you have to break it down here first to see how it will withstand the stress in space. And so that's done in a lab, the structures test lab, building 13 at Johnson Space Center. Well, I was a test director over in building 13. Just a glorified, we break stuff okay. with machines, you know. They're it's a sweet title for just breaking stuff. Well, if you ever look at any of the videos, that's literally all it is. Like, uh, we put a piece of metal between two pulleys, uh, a hydraulic pulleys, and just pull it apart. And someone's measuring the stress and the tensile strength and all that sort of thing. So that was uh, that's what I did. I was doing that during the day, and I went to law school at night. Mm -hmm. um, okay, and then you also <coughs> mentioned nuclear reactor for the Navy. Yeah. Um, you know, probably about two years ago, I was invited to Lone Star College. It's a community college here in near Houston. And they kind of wanted the same thing. Like, how did you get... I was talking to kids who were just graduating high school and they were going off to college, you know. And everyone there, the whole thing was, go to college, go to college, go to college, you'll be successful. I have a little bit different story and it kind of explains all these different career paths I've had. And kind of the story I told those guys, I walked up to the stage with my State Bar of Texas license, right? And it's in a big $500 frame. And I told them, you know, I have this sheepskin here because when I was in your shoes when I was 18 I was told this is how you be you're happy you know you can't be happy unless you have one of these you can't be successful unless you have one of these well from that mentality that mindset as a 17 year old high school student I was lying in bed wondering how am I going to pay for college you know I'm kind of from a lower class family and uh, my sister was in college and I didn't I could see kind of that was some financial stress on my parents, and I just wanted to, if I was going to go to college, I had to go to college, I wanted to pay for it myself. And so I started looking at different, I looked at the Marine Corps, I looked at the Army, the Air Force. Well, the Navy had this program, the nuclear engineering program, nuclear power propulsion, nuclear propulsion, and they recruit people who do well in physics and, and calculus, and I had all those not necessarily AP, but they were above-level courses in the math and science. So I was heavily recruited by the United States Navy <laughs> coming out of high school. And they put me in that program. And it's basically two years of nuclear engineering. Uh, you don't get a degree, but you're very close. You know, when I finally did leave the Navy, I had to take like four classes and I had a nuclear engineering degree. Um, and then you spend two years at school, and then four years you're working in, you know, the U.S. Navy has submarines that are nuclear-powered. They have aircraft carriers that are nuclear-powered. I was on an aircraft carrier for four years uh, just operating the power plant, and that's a nuclear power plant. Uh, you know, and from there, as soon as I got out of the Navy, I'm thinking, I go, I go get that degree, and there's my $100,000 a year, and I get, the every, I get everything you might want. Well... I got, the, uh, I got the degree, and as an engineer, it's hard to compete with people who 
who love what they're doing when you don't love it. And that was my big downfall. I was never really that smart. Like someone you might think an engineer is very smart. I just worked harder than most people. And if you can stick to a math problem for an entire weekend, you're going to get it. And that was the kind of discipline I had in my younger days. But it wasn't natural aptitude. So when I got to NASA, the other engineers were just running circles around me because they took the books home and they slept with the books and they spent their weekends inside of a tech manual. And to me, it was a job. You know, to them, that was engineering was their life. Um, so inside of that lab, whenever a customer like Bigelow Airspace or today would be someone like uh, Elon Musk would bring something for us to break. Of course, that company didn't even exist back then. But when an aerospace company would bring something and they're saying, we're going to take this up to the space station or we're going to shoot it up into space. We need to know what it can withstand. You had, they were called our customer, you know, and the other engineers in that lab were engineers. They weren't, they didn't have really a personality. Hopefully none of them are watching this, but they just weren't (laughs) great at talking to people. And so naturally I kind of matriculated to a leadership position in this lab, even though I didn't know engineering, I was the guy that could talk to the customer. And a lot of times I tell people the leading role is a speaking role. Uh, and when, when I realized, man, this being just, just having, and like you, I'm an introvert, you know, I'm going to go home after this podcast and take a good nap. (laughs) But if you're just 10% better than your peers, that makes a big difference, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I thought, man, if, Maybe I should go maybe try to be a lawyer because I can talk to people. And, you know, when I got to law school, I realized it's an entirely different sort of intelligence than engineering. I thought if I could pass engineering, which, you know, I actually changed my engineering degree three different times. And, you know, when I see someone that's an electrical engineer, I think this guy, you you have no idea how intelligent this guy is because that's where I started. And once I got into it, I was like, I'll never pass electrical engineering. Um, same thing. So I thought, man, I used to run with the, with the engineers. I'm going to dominate law school. Well, I got to law school, and it's a different type of intelligence. And again, I was dealing with people who, at five years old, they were sitting around the dinner table. They were talking with their lawyer parents about the law, and they've just been in this world for so long. And plus, they love it, you know. And I wasn't, my heart wasn't in it, uh, being a lawyer. And so a lot of times people, when I sit down and talk with people and they learn about my career path, they're just like, where did you, like, how, I don't get it. You know, most people, they're an engineer and that's it. That's what they do. You were an engineer, then a law school, then you started a business. And it was just, I was always looking for something that I enjoyed doing that I was also good at. I didn't want to force a square peg into a round hole, which is what I had been doing my whole life until about the year 2008. Uh, And you had said previously that you're going to ask me about a book, so I won't bring that book up just yet. (laughs) But I read a book in 2008, and it changed everything. Uh, But that's kind of, I started as an engineer, started as an engineer, went to, uh, got my degree, became an engineer for Johnson Space Center, well, at Johnson Space Center. Um, While I was an engineer at Johnson Space Center, I was going to law school at night uh, at the University of Houston Law Center. 
then I graduated. And I got this really awesome job uh, in the oil and gas field as an oil and gas attorney. And about two years, right around, I got that job about 2010. And right about 2012, the bottom dropped out of the oil and gas industry. And they pretty much in the span of maybe three, four months, they laid off 70 attorneys, you know, and that was about 75% of the firm. And I was one of those that got let go. And then I, I kind of floundered for a bit, like trying to make myself be an attorney. Another guy kind of hired, I went to a tax firm that was, I did not enjoy that. And then another oil and gas attorney hired me. Again, not so much on aptitude, but just because I was a hard worker. And when I got to that firm, it was more, there were only three attorneys there. And I was one of the three. So it was more entrepreneurial, whereas the, per, the previous law firm was more corporate. And so I hadn't, I didn't, in order to be an entrepreneur lawyer, you have to know the law. <laughs> and a lot of times they'd bring something to me. And I'd be thinking in my head, like, man, you guys gonna need a lawyer for this one. <laughs> uh, and so, one day we had a dispute over how much I should. I did a project that was it just required a lot of times at law firms they'll write your hours off, like they just can't charge their client all the time that you actually spent on the project because it would be obscene. And so they wrote off just a ton of my hours. Uh, you know, like maybe three out of the four weeks I spent on that project, they wrote those times off. And, that, and it was kind of like, you know, I told the the owner of the firm, I was like, look, man, uh, I hate to give you an ultimatum, but if you guys going to write all these hours off, I think I'm just going to, I'm going to quit, you know. So when they would write those hours off, would you not get paid for that? Time? Yeah, you just, you did free work, you know, that's extremely common. Um, really? It's just not so common to have 75% of your hours written off. But every project you're on, 10, 20, even 30% of your hours are just gone. So you're basically like a contractor for them? Yeah, for them. Okay. Even, okay, and if you're a salary, it's even worse. Yeah. Because you're just getting paid a salary. Yeah. You work all the time. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So I want to go back. You made a comment earlier, and this is something that, that really stuck with me. I have a feeling I'll probably do an entire episode on this at some point in time. But you made the comment that you have to go to college to be successful. And there's this this idea, uh, especially of, you know, coming from the the lower middle class, middle class type realm of if you make if you can make a hundred thousand a year, then you're gonna be successful. That's your ticket. Like that is success. So in your experience, I'm curious to know what your perspective is on a college degree and how it actually impacts your ability to be successful. You know, I follow Grant Cardone a lot. He wrote the 10X rule, uh, sell to survive, sell or be sold. And he has this idea about college that I've kind of latched onto. Now, I have some of my own ideas too, but I want to get this out there first. And that is this. One of the only reasons to go to college or the primary reason to go to college is to meet people who can afford to be at college and build those people into your network. Uh, <clears throat> I have a, a career website for people who used to do what I did in the Navy, and that's a question. Should I go back to college? And a lot of people want to get an online degree. 
and that doesn't mesh well with what Grant Cardone says. Like, if you're going to go to Harvard, Yale, yes, go there knowing that, in my opinion, what you learn will not have a giant impact on your life. The people you meet and form a network with at Harvard and Yale and Stanford and MIT, those people are going to have an insane impact on your life, uh, your ability to make money. So it's interesting. Growing up, for me, my grandfather always taught me and, and, and told me, kind of beat it into my head. It's not what you know, it's who you know. And so while going to college, yes, you will learn things. The reality is, in, in a lot of conversations that I have with people 10, 15, 20 years down the road, they will openly admit that the things they learned in college, they don't use at all or hardly use at all in, in their career. So, and I'm sure you mentioned SpaceX and, and Elon Musk. I mean, he is very outspoken on colleges not really being truly value-added. He, he doesn't really have many nice things to say about MBAs either. So I, I just, I find that interesting that you also have that perspective, especially with your background, right. which is also pretty interesting that, when I'm sure you've seen the pictures or memes online or motivational posts or whatever they are, where it shows a picture of an iceberg and there's just like, like 10% above the water. All I knew was this 10%. Yeah, right. And then you start throwing out working for, for Johnson space center and, and let's see, nuclear reactors, all this crazy stuff. So, uh, and then one other thing that you mentioned was uh, working harder and, and how, I've had other guests on the show that come in and they really just talk about how they can, they weren't the smartest person, but they would outwork anyone else in the room. And I think there is definitely something to that when it comes to uh, achieving success in, in our lives. Yeah. I, um, you know, I vacillate back and forth. Uh, last year, I got into reading more spiritual books. Like mm -hmm. there's this girl, Gabrielle Bernstein, and she wrote, the universe has your back. She wrote Super Attractor. And at the same time, I got into reading David Goggins, who's all about suffering. Like, And I had to start asking myself, like, does life have to be that hard? Uh, you know, on one hand, yes, work as hard as you can. There is success through suffering. You can find yourself through suffering. On the other hand, maybe the universe has your back. You know, maybe you can attract things into your life a little bit easier. Uh, I just, the, those are two people who I, I read their stuff. I respect what each of them write, but they come at life from two different perspectives. And I'm, for so long, I've been on this, the track that David Goggins is on, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm 43 now. I just can't, I, the way I got through engineering school, I didn't sleep. I didn't eat. I studied nearly 24 hours a day. And I can't do that anymore. You know, now I have to find some, I have to find other ways to keep up with people who can do that. And, you know, I don't want to be that guy. I put a lot of value on hard work. But in my young, as I'm getting older, I see, you know, maybe there's room to think about how these other more, you know, like the secret. A lot of people are just hate that, the secret. But maybe there's something there that we can find value in where life doesn't have to be as hard as we're making it. Yeah, it's uh, pretty powerful, actually. So let's talk a little bit about your 
transition into, well, from being a lawyer into what you do now. And, mm. you know, I've done, I've actually, <laughs> interestingly enough, I don't know if he ever reached out to you. There was a, a colleague of mine that used to work at the company that I work for, started his own business. And he messaged me about two weeks ago asking if I knew of anybody that does SEO. He said he wants to be on the front page of Google. And so I was like, well, I know a guy. Let me, let me talk to him first. Uh, now that I think about it, I can't remember if I... Oh, I think I sent him your name and said, hey, here's his LinkedIn page. I don't know if he ever reached out to you or not. I don't think so. Um, in any event, so SEO, and, and I don't know a whole lot about it. And for all of you listeners that don't know what it is, especially search engine optimization. And the intent behind it is to really if position your site and content at the front page of Google in its simplest terms. I know there's a lot more to it, but whenever I talk to people, it's kind of a, a black box. Like there's SEO consultants, but nobody really knows what they do. There, there's kind of like this magic black box. So tell me how you transition from, from being a lawyer into focusing on SEO and the marketing and, and things like that. Okay, uh, before I get into that, I wanna put an asterisk by it and say this for your listeners. For most businesses, Okay, search engine optimization is not the best marketing choice for you. Okay, just keep that in mind as I'm telling you my story. Okay. I would feel guilty if I didn't say that. Okay. I just found a little niche. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, I told you I was an engineer during the day. I went to law school at night. Um, you know, and before I was an engineer with a degree, I was a technician. I worked at Samsung Semiconductors in Austin. And I, was, I maintained the robots that built computer memory. And <clears throat> I didn't like, right? This dude, okay. crazy. <laughs> like, no clue. You've got such a, yeah. a broad array of experience. I'm okay, gonna, sorry. We're going to put it all together here. Yeah. Okay. And to, I, I didn't have a degree yet, but I worked with engineers. And so a lot of times when there was a job, kind of a grunt level job, I would get that job because I, you know, they weren't going to give it to someone with a degree. And I had told my boss, I was like, look, man, uh, you know, I have all these skills. I, I really don't want to. One of the things was like I had to deliver everyone's mail to them. Uh, and I told him, I don't want to deliver people's mail every morning because I worked the night shift. And he was a Korean, you know, Samsung is a Korean company. And he was someone from Korea that they stationed there to kind of manage. And he said, he sat me down and he's like, you're from the Navy, right? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, this, this isn't the Navy. And I'm like, what do you mean? He said, if you don't like it, you can leave. You know, and two weeks later, I was gone. You know, I had turned in my... But in my mind, I thought a degree is going to fix all of this. And so I went and got that degree. And then I told you my story at NASA. You know, it turns out an engineering degree didn't fix all my problems. And in my mind, I'm at NASA, and I thought a law degree is going to fix all of this. And I'm two years into law school. You know, I started law school in 2006. And by two years in, I was on academic probation. I was... And I just, now I could read the writing on the wall, you know, a law school is not going to fix this either. And in law school, in the night program, you go year round. There's no, most people take summers off at law school. Well, in the night program, you're bunching all that time at into night. So you can't really take any time off. Well, when they put me on academic probation, I just took, I said, you know what, I'm going to take a mini semester off, which is like three weeks. And on the way home, one day, I stopped at a bookstore, and I, I just, I'm going to say it now, but I bought this book, The 4-Hour Workweek, in 2008, and Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss, yep. 
um, within that book, he talked about online marketing. Um, you know, that, that's not the crux of the entire book, but it's just in the book. And mm-hmm. if you read that book today, everything in that book is outdated. So don't go buy that book to try to learn how to do online marketing. But from that, I started a blog. Um, I started a dating blog about my dating exploits, <laughs> exploits in Clear Lake, Texas. Okay. And it became popular. It became popular, and I started making money from online within three weeks during this little mini-mester that I took off. How did you make money off of a site like that? Do you have, like, Well, there's something called affiliate marketing, where someone writes a, like a dating, how to text your girlfriend back. How to okay. get your girlfriend back through text. That was a big one. Okay. And so... So would they sponsor the site? No, or? but you put a link to their... Oh, and by the... And I texted this girl this on Saturday night, and she came out. Oh, and by the way, this was a course that I used to learn how to do that. Okay. Now, I didn't use any of those things, but I was just like, how can I put links in here to make money? Uh, there's something called ClickBank, where it's just a bank of affiliate programs. Most of them are like weight loss. Uh, woodworking is a big one. I was in all kinds of stuff, like concealed carry handguns. It wasn't just dating. It's just wherever you can find a link, you throw it in there. Um, and I kind of had to reevaluate my career choices because I'm like, man, I've been doing it the conventional way my whole life, clawing and scratching for the slightest bit of progress, you know, and I'm almost at the level of the bottom 10% of my law school class. Whereas I took three weeks off, I found something I'm good at and that I like, and I made money in three weeks. You know, something had to, you know, and I just put two and two together. So during that time, when I went back to law school, funniest part, I would sit, you know, we had laptops in law school. You didn't really take notes or anything. You typed all the notes on your laptop. Well, I would sit in the back of class and blog on fitness blogs, and and I would make money, you know. And I remember we're sitting in the back of a, what's this class? It's like criminal law procedure, you know, not, it's like the rules of criminal law court. It's criminal procedure. And the guy's in the middle of a lecture. I'm in the back of the class, and I got an affiliate like I set up so my computer would kind of like bing when I made money, like someone bought something. And I'm in the middle of class, I'm like, yes! You know? <laughs> and everyone turns around. like. Uh, so for like the last two years, I was making money in the back of law school. Just I would go home, I'd read something on the internet, and I'd start implementing it right there. Um, and that's kind of how I, I transitioned. By the time I was an actual attorney, I graduated in law school in 2010, I started working at the law firm, and I'd go home at night and just make blogs. Ugh. Very hard to be an entrepreneur starting out and maintain a relationship because my girlfriend would just go nuts. Like, you're always online. You're always working. <laughs> uh, actually, she bought me a Kindle, and that, was, that like made it even worse because now I had online marketing books at the palm of my hand, and I was just like always either reading or implementing what I learned. But that's how I transitioned. And when I finally did give that guy the ultimatum, like, hey, man, you're going to write off all these hours. I'm just going to quit. By that time, I already had it all mapped out. Like, man, if I just throw 40 hours a week at this, I can completely replace my income and actually enjoy what I do. And most importantly, be good at what I do for a living. There's a lot of people right now who are floundering in their careers and they don't know what else to do. You know, they're 
they're working at a factory or they're they're using their I don't know some degree they got at at college and they're just they're not even the best at what they do and they're sitting there and they're thinking and I used to sit there and joke with all my friends I'd say well we only have 35 more years of this then we can retire you know we'd be all happy oh 34 more years this year uh and I didn't want that for myself. I wanted to enjoy what I did and be good at it, you know. And everything I've told you thus far was just that journey. How do I get to providing a life for myself and actually enjoy doing it? Um, and I think with the internet today, there is just no reason everybody can't do that. Uh, all the opportunity that the internet offers. There are no more gatekeepers anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, who knows what your podcast is going to look like in two years? You might not. This might be all you do for a living, you know? So that note about with basically everything that you just mentioned as far as the Internet and not having any sort of gatekeepers. Do you listen to Gary Vaynerchuk at all? Yeah. So he talks a lot about that. And I think there's there's definitely something to that. The barrier to entry is really nothing. I mean, quite frankly, if you've got a cell phone, you can start creating content right. and getting your message out there. Now, one of the things that I think happens is people, not everybody is as driven as you are. Or I am, or or you know, other entrepreneurs. I mean, it takes a specific mindset, and you have to have that desire and drive to accomplish more. You can't just sit and like flip around from time to time. You have to be very intentional with what you're trying to accomplish, and you have to drive, drive, drive after it. And I think what happens is people see the allure of of these these, we'll say, online influencers and people that have become successful over the years and think that it's going to be easy. And when they realize, oh, I'm I'm three months into this and I've only got three views on my latest YouTube channel, which was, by the way, me this past week. <laughs> so if you're listening, go check out the channel. But <laughs> people get discouraged because they see that as like, well, I'm losing. Why am I doing this? And I think if you're following your passion, it, it doesn't matter as much. And, and so I think there's, there's something to that. If you follow your passion, th- there is really no barrier to entry. It's not like you have to go spend a ton of money on microphones and audio interfaces and all that. Use your cell phone. Just start doing something. But you've got to have that drive to be successful at it. Yeah, for sure. That's, uh, that's all entrepreneurship is, is just constant no, 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 no. It's funny because the whole world is finding this out right now because of the way COVID has everyone working from home. I guarantee you nobody's putting in an eight-hour work. Well, we didn't put in eight-hour work days when we were sitting at the office, you know, and no, you know, nobody's doing that at home. It takes a lot of discipline to sit down at home by yourself or at your office by yourself and just bang out a project. Um, well, I think what we're seeing now is this kind of, proliferation of a gig economy so many people were laid off last year because of covid and i think once unemployment dried up for them and their cobra benefits and everything and if they still had not had that opportunity to go find uh, or land a job somewhere else at that point they really start struggling and thinking okay well what else can i do and that's whenever they start 
doing contract work or consulting work on the side. And my hope is that we're going to see more and more of that. And I think we are entering this, this time frame where we're going to see more and more entrepreneurs, but it's going to be interesting to see how successful they are because the first year is usually very stressful and exciting, but at some point you're going to hit some really, really big walls that you have to climb over. And I think that's what's going to separate most people on if they end up caving and going back into, we'll say, corporate America or continuing to follow their passion through those challenges. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so I, I had mentioned in the beginning of the show how how we met at the gym. One of the things that I... I try to talk about, and I've had a few guests on the show that we talked about fitness, and I I firmly believe that for us to become the best version of ourselves, we have to realize that everything is connected. You can't, well, I suppose you can. It can be difficult to be successful if you're working 80, 90 hours a week or more and ignoring your health and fitness. If you're not eating healthy, if you're not getting the rest, if you're not exercising, I think all of those things play a key role in our ultimate success. So tell me a little bit about your experience with uh, fitness and what are your thoughts on has that helped you through your career? Yeah, I tell people all the time that fitness is a cheat code. Um, And also, okay, think about the the concept of cheat code, but also think the, about the concept of cornerstone habits. Like, uh, there are certain things, you know, imagine if you wanted to wake up earlier every morning. <clears throat> you wanted to wake up at like 4.30 every morning. One of the things you could do to make sure that happened is to set your clothes out, set a bottle of water out, uh, set your alarm. Same thing with with fitness. Like, Fitness is, it's one cornerstone habit you can develop that will improve all other aspects of your life. You know, uh, let's imagine that you want to develop, develop discipline, okay? Fitness will help you develop discipline. Let's imagine that you wanted to lose weight. Fitness will help you lose weight, okay? Imagine that your goal was to be able to accept failure, or to develop perseverance. All you have to, you can hit, you can accomplish all of those things by just going to the gym three times a week, four times a week, um, one time a week, whatever. Now you're in shape. Now you have more energy. Now you're sleeping better. Okay, imagine you can't sleep. Sometimes when I can't sleep, it's because I'm not working out anymore. So just going to the gym gets you tired. Now you can sleep at night. Fitness is just a, a cheat code that develops so many other things. And a lot of the Navy veterans that are in my career group, like I said, that's a big question is, should I go back to school? And one of the things I tell all of them also is like, man, if you or anyone in your family is overweight, you, your spouse, your children are overweight, and you're sitting here asking me if you should go get a master's degree, you're doing life wrong. Like what would improve your quality of life more? Getting in shape, getting your fitness in order are going to get a master's in electrical engineering versus your bachelor's in electrical engineering. You know, what's going to improve your quality of life more? Uh, I can't, it's very hard to overstress the importance of fitness. Uh, They say meditation is good and fitness in itself 
is its own form of meditation. You know, it's the one time you can be present with yourself for an hour, 30 minutes to an hour. Okay, imagine you want to meet more friends, join a CrossFit gym. Now you've got a social circle. There's just so many things that fitness can help you with. And people are, you know, uh, a lot of, because I'm an attorney, I'm in educated circles. And the answer to a lot of those people, any problem in life that comes back, comes up, I need to go back to school. I need to go get another degree. And I'm thinking what you really need are the cornerstone habits. You need discipline. You need faith. You need creativity. Uh, you need Most people today just need to learn how to sleep. Uh, you need to learn how to wake up earlier. Uh, and all of that is accomplished by fitness. Confidence. You want to build confidence? Go get in shape. Okay. Then there's this concept of gamifying your life. Uh, read this book. It's called Reality is Broken. And they're basically saying that Video games have it right, and one of the reasons why humans get addicted to video games is because there's instant feedback. There's shorter feedback loops, then you adjust your tactic, and you get closer to your goal. Fitness provides almost instant feedback. Maybe you don't lose all the weight you're trying to lose that day, but you get a pump that day. You come home in the mirror, and you're a little bit bigger. And that instant feedback encourages you to go back more. Now you got a shorter feedback loop, and you're, you're right back on track again. There's just so many advantages to fitness. <laughs> I could go all day. <laughs> yeah, it, and you know what's interesting? It, whenever you mention how much it improves your quality of life, I think that we're gonna that we're seeing a a shift in in recent years where success is no longer determined or defined by the amount of money in your bank account or the cars that you have. It's it's defined by how healthy are you? Your your what level of freedom do you have? Do you follow what you do you get to do what you're passionate about? So it's 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 less about the money. I mean there's obviously an element of that, but it's more about your quality of life and and the freedoms that you have. And fitness does help out with a lot of that. I mean for all the reasons that you just mentioned. Right. Even uh becoming harder to kill almost like <clears throat> A lot of the people who are affected by diseases like the flu or what have you, they're not people who are big on fitness. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. typically people with who are overweight, higher cholesterol, higher blood pressure. Um, so there's just just value in becoming stronger, a stronger specimen, becoming mm-hmm. someone that's harder to kill, whether on the micro level, like a virus, biological micro, whatever, or you zombie know, apocalypse. Imagine if you just learned jujitsu. You went to jujitsu class. Now you're more confident. You're. <clears throat> I have a friend. Every time we go out to a bar, he's like, "Look, look how this guy's looking at us." And I'm like, "Man, they're just looking for a place to look." But some of that is he's afraid. If I imagine if this guy was utterly confident in his ability to defend himself, like he had been hit in the face a few times, he had, he knows if it goes to the ground, he's going to be okay. His confidence level would raise up, and he might not care about someone looking at him all the time. Uh, you know, fitness doesn't have to be just lifting weights. Like it could be maybe you join a kickboxing gym or something and you have this confidence that you can handle yourself if things go south. And therefore, you don't need to prove anything to anyone. Also, you talked about your career, like uh, making more money. How can you make more money just because you got in shape? Well, unfortunately, the outside world looks at, you know, pretty people make more money. 
if you're in shape, you're going to naturally matriculate to a leadership position. And there's actually been studies that that show how valid that is. Okay. Well, I think, you know, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of layers to it. If uh, one that comes to mind for me is if, if you're, if you're in shape, if you're in shape, you go to the gym a lot and you have that confidence, you will be more likely to step into that next room, to have those conversations, to speak up when you know the right answer, instead of not having as much confidence and kind of retreating into your shell and just saying, okay, well, I'm gonna do something else. So I think there's a lot of, of layers there. Um, which we could really yeah I could go all day yeah (laughs) (laughs) so uh, I I actually I have a note here that I wanted to um, switch back to really briefly so with your experience and background working with with engineers and working with lawyers both have a reputation for being difficult to work with or communicate with which is tougher in your experience to work with? Hmm. Of course, I'm. this is a, we're generalizing here. For sure, absolutely. Know, I'm could, about to share my feedback afterwards because yeah. I've worked in oil and gas, I've worked with engineers, I've worked with lawyers, but I want to hear your thoughts. To me, it was harder to communicate with attorneys uh, because, well, for one, I come from more of a conservative background. A lot of attorneys tend to be more liberal. And sometimes it's hard for us to communicate on the same wavelength. Um, for engineers, I just felt like I spoke their language more. Uh, even as an engineer, you know, when I was in the Navy, there were enlisted people and there were officers. And I was enlisted in the Navy. When, I, when you get to an engineering firm, there are technicians who in the Navy would be the enlisted. Those are the people without degrees. Then there are engineers, and those would be kind of the officers. As an engineer, I was now in officer country. I was like in the officer world, but I had spent my whole career as a as an enlisted person, technician. Uh, <clears throat> now, if you're talking lawyers, that's like captain level officers. You know, that's not even the officers I didn't deal with. So from that regard, it was just harder to communicate with them. Now, what I found out was once I went to my first law firm, I was no longer you know, I was no longer a lawyer. I was the engineer at that law firm. Every time a technical question came up, they came to me. As a marketing expert, whenever I help lawyers, I can totally speak their language now because I've played in their world. And, but when I was, if you, if I had to say between an engineer and an attorney who's easier to communicate with, for me, it was engineers just because, I don't know, I just felt like I was more on their level. Yeah, I think for me, again, for all of you listening, this is speaking in generalities. Don't get upset. So for me, I I think that I have had more success in having conversations, working through projects with engineers. Coming from an IT background like I have, there, I think a lot of engineers have a similar personality profile, mindset. Usually they're very passionate about the the technology side of whatever they're engineering. And I can relate to that. 
most of my experience with lawyers has actually come in recent years as I've stepped into and started leading the human resources organization, having to deal with employment law issues and litigation and all of those things. And so, like you, I don't necessarily think that I can relate to them as <laughs> as much. Um, and I'm I'm trying to be super PC here. Yeah. Um, but th- I will say that there there's been a very very small handful of lawyers that I've had conversations with and worked with that did impress me, and I would choose to to go through and work with them again. Uh, there has been a lot more that have not impressed me, so we'll go ahead and move on yeah. from that topic now. Uh, <laughs> well, I can add one more thing to it. All right. In engineering school, you know, getting my bachelor's degree, there was a right answer that you were trying to solve for. Solve for X. And there was one right answer. Mm-hmm. Sometimes two, you mm-hmm. know, plus or negative. In law school, it wasn't what's the right answer. It was what's every possible answer. Mm-hmm. And for me, those are just two different worlds. You know, I wouldn't do incredibly well on some of my law school tests because I would only list the likely answers, whereas someone else would go in there and they would what we call in the Navy, shotgunning it, like every possible answer, mm-hmm. and they would get an A. Mm-hmm. Whereas as an engineer, that's not rewarded. You want to build a bridge, what can it withstand? Mm-hmm. What can this bridge withstand or else someone's going to die? And in law, in law, it's different. It's what's every possible outcome, mm-hmm. uh, no matter how bizarre it might seem. I've struggled to get an actual answer from a lot of lawyers. Right. So, well, what do you think about this? Oh, well, this person thinks mm-hmm. that. Could be this. Could, could be, be this. Could be that. Depends. And and by the end of you know an hour and a half long session of sitting in a conference room, I have no more information than what I walked in with. So that can be <laughs> that can be challenging. All they did was just like listen to me talk. So. Right. So okay. All right. So what's uh, let's talk a little bit about your foray into real estate. Okay. Great. Um, as a Having a marketing agency, you know, I, I do well. It is a, it's high income, you know, and income is highly taxed. And, you know, last year I could have hired an engineer with the amount of taxes I paid. Mm-hmm. And so I, at some point I said, I got to convert this income into capital gains, you know, lower taxed capital gains. And that was kind of what my whole job deal with real estate is, is just, they they're killing me on taxes right now. So I wanted to just convert this straight income into capital mm-hmm. and that's taxed at a lower rate. So has Grant Cardone played a role in you learning and kind of diving into that? Uh to some degree, I guess. I think for me he has kind of raised awareness yeah. of everything that are a lot of things that and how they function in that space. So, okay, what is so what's next for you? What is next? Okay, right now the way my agency makes money is we help clients. Like we have clients, mm-hmm. meaning p- people. And at times people can be difficult to deal with. And so in my world, in the online marketing world, there are people who, they make money the way I do. They, they find clients, and those clients pay them per month. And that's actually kind of easier. The other side of the story is what's called affiliate marketing, where people sell products. 
and products don't complain about how many phone calls they got this month. And, you know, that's really, that is what's next to me is to productize my service. Maybe instead of helping lawyers do their marketing where I can maybe help 40 at a time, I develop a digital course and teach thousands of lawyers at a time how to maybe control or outsource their marketing. Uh, that and just continuing to capitalize all of my income, mm-hmm. whether whether it's a house or a commercial property. Like that's what I think on the real estate side, I want to move from residential to commercial. Um, on the marketing side, I want to move from clients pay me per month and clients email me and ask questions and clients call me and I can never sleep because there's always a client to selling digital products that are fire and forget. Like here, here's a product, here's how to do it. You can join the Facebook group and Mm -hmm. once a week I'll go in there and answer questions. Well, that's how you scale. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Because it sounds like, based on what you've described, that, that you are the constraint, you are the bottleneck because there's only one you right now. Yes. So the idea of being able to try to grow your customer base by teaching them how to fish, per se, instead of coming to you to get all the fish, that's that's how right. you're going to scale. Okay. How do people contact you? Well, you can look at my website, DustinSanchezTV.com, like television. Uh, and I get the did get that from Grant Cardone. He started out as GrantCardoneTV.com. Uh, DustinSanchezTV.com is like the best hub for me. If you just go to Google and Google Dustin Sanchez Media or Dustin Sanchez Marketing, you'll find my YouTube or LinkedIn or what have you. I go to the website, though. I write a lot of interesting stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Good deal. Well, Dustin, it has been an absolute enlightening experience having you on the show. We've worked out together a few times and and I've enjoyed our conversations, but I had no idea that there was so much more. So we've got a whole lot more to talk about whenever we, we train together in the future. So for all of you listening, if you like the show, please like and subscribe. Uh, Please leave a review. I actually have my, my first official hater that left a one-star one review, but no actual comments. So that was a milestone that I was looking forward to, to reaching. So thank you all for that. And uh, yeah, I guess, I, guess that's, I guess that's pretty much it. Y'all, uh, y'all have a good one.